Every year, thousands upon thousands of us escape to trails, rivers, wilderness areas, and greenways for recreation and renewal. But how often do we really stop and think about what it would be like if these spaces and resources weren't available? I have a confession to make. For much of my life, I've been a consumer of our natural resources. Grateful that we have places to explore and recreate, but not really giving much thought about what it took to protect and preserve these spaces. I've always tried my best to observe Leave No Trace principles and impart those same principles to my family and groups that I've guided. But something in me has shifted, and I find myself increasingly curious about and grateful to those who work so hard to protect and preserve. In this episode, I sit down with Kieran Rowe, Executive Director of Conserving Carolina, and we talk about how this organization works to protect and restore natural resources, as well as inspire others to love and care for our natural world. We talk about some of the areas that make up the 46,000 acres Conserving Carolina has helped to protect, like Chimney Rock State Park, DuPont State Recreational Forest, the Headwater State Forest, and additions to the Green River Game Lands and the Pisgah National Forest. We also talk about how Conserving Carolina spearheaded the 100-plus mile Hickory Nut Gorge State Trail and the new 19-mile Acoustic Trail Greenway that will stretch from Hendersonville to Brevard. Conservation, stewardship, and the protection of natural resources will be one of our focuses this year, and I invite you to listen in as we lean in to these areas and learn a little bit more. You're listening to Exploration Local, a podcast designed to explore and celebrate the people and places that make the Blue Ridge and Southern Appalachian Mountains special and unique. My name is Mike Andrus, the host of Exploration Local. Join us on our journey to explore these mountains and discover how they fuel a spirit of adventure. We encourage you to wander far, but explore local. Let's go. I'm here with Kieran Rowe today. He is the Executive Director of Conserving Carolina, which is a conservation organization that serves part of Western North Carolina and upstate South Carolina. Their mission is to protect, restore, and inspire appreciation of the natural world. Kieran, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Mike. It's a pleasure to be here. You bet. It is great to have you. So you and I were talking a little bit earlier uh, before we started recording about our listenership, where they're coming from. So we know that there are going to be some people who may be unfamiliar with Conserving Carolina. They may not know this organization by name, but they're really likely going to recognize Conserving Carolina for the places that you all have helped to protect, like DuPont State Forest and Green River Game Lands, Chimney Rock State Park, and there's, there's so many others. And obviously, I bet the more we talk in this episode, Kieran, the more places that people are going to to recognize for sure. Yeah, and and the kind of thing we're doing in in this part of this region, you know, there are other counterpart organizations in the rest of the state of North Carolina, South Carolina, other states, you know, similar organizations doing similar things. So we kind of represent a part of the conservation movement that's about local conservation. So hopefully it'll be educational, even if folks are not local to the region of Conserving Carolina. So, Karen, let's start by finding our bearings and let's give the listeners a geographical reference for where Conserving Carolina works. What counties are you serving in? And let's just give a little backdrop of where you are and what you're doing. We are a, a local land trust is what we call ourselves, that wing of the conservation movement. And our office is located in Hendersonville, North Carolina, you know, south, south of Asheville there. And we work, our main focus is on about a three-county region centered on Hendersonville. So Henderson County, uh, Polk County, and Transylvania County. But we also work some in the neighboring places immediately adjoining that over in Rutherford County in the Hickory Nut Gorge, places like uh, Lake Lure and Chimney Rock is a place we've also done a lot of work. We've also done some things down in the upstate of South Carolina, down in the, the Landrum area in particular, but that's kind of a, the core of our region there. So kind of Western North Carolina, and sort of the Southwestern part of Western North Carolina. My first exposure to conserving Carolina was uh, DuPont State Forest, and that was a few years ago. And it seems like the more I explored that area uh, and others, I just kept seeing this Conserving Carolina logo. 
And so naturally, I wanted to find out a little bit more. And I soon discovered really just how impactful this organization is. And I've followed you all uh, ever since, Kieran. And that's really why I'm excited to have you on the podcast. So we all can get to know Conserving Carolina a little bit better and find out more, you know, of this important work that you all are doing. But let's go back to the beginning of Conserving Carolina. And I understand it was a result of two local land trusts merging in in 2017. And I'll let you share what those were. But uh, let's just give a little backstory for Conserving Carolina. Sure. That sounds great. So I actually started work in my current role back in 1999, working for an organization called Carolina Mountain Land Conservancy. And and that organization worked in part of the region I just described. Uh, And then we had a neighboring land trust, uh, the Packlet Area Conservancy, which was based in Polk County. And so my organization was formed in 1994. The Packlet Area Conservancy was formed in, I think, 1989. And we both went along for a couple of decades doing good work separately in those counties. And in 2017, we decided that we could do even more by joining forces and combining our strengths. And so in 2017, we we merged officially and decided to change our name to Conserving Carolina. But I feel still like there's a lot of continuity, even though there's a a change of name and a lot of people recognize the Carolina Mountainland Conservancy before that merger. It's still really the same organization doing a lot of the same work under a sort of a new name, a new brand. Conserving Carolina has been around since 2017, but when you look back at the two land trusts that merged, you're talking about, what, 30-plus years worth of experience doing this important work. Yeah, that's exactly right. So we feel like we have a lot of good deep roots now, you know, both members of our staff, members of our board, volunteers. We feel very tied to the communities that we work in and I think that's one of the real strengths of local land trusts that they really get to know their communities and get to figure out what the people and the, the land needs in, in those those regions. So we, we feel like we have a real good finger on the pulse of, of the counties we're working in and, and good relationships with a, a lot of landowners, a lot of partner agencies. And, and it's all those relationships really that, that make so much of what we do possible. You know, that's a great lead in because your mission of Conserving Carolina is to protect, restore and inspire an appreciation of the natural world. And I'm wondering if you can speak briefly about maybe each of those areas and really give our let's give our listeners a framework for the breadth of conservation that you're involved with and what all goes into conservation. Yeah, thanks for uh, describing our mission there. The, The first word, protect. I would say that's probably the core of our mission. Uh, And that's true, I think, for most local land trusts. And and what do we mean by the term protect, land protection? Essentially, we're talking about real estate transactions in most cases there. It is bringing land that is not currently restricted or protected in any way under some kind of new protection. And the simple way that we do that is just buying land or in some cases, even getting land donated to us uh, with that purpose of uh, protecting it, either retaining ownership ourselves or probably more frequently working with a public agency, a state uh, land management agency or a local parks department or whatever, adding that land to public ownership and, and thereby having it permanently protected and in many cases available to the public. That's one way we protect land. <clears throat> Another really important tool we use is something called a conservation easement. Uh, a conservation easement is essentially a legal agreement between a private landowner and an organization like ours that puts some restrictions on future uses of properties. So, and every every easement we do will be different. It will be tailored to the land itself and to the goals of the landowner. So a farmland preservation easement will allow a lot of use of that land for agriculture and farming. And, but it'll, the, the main thing we're always looking to do is restrict future development. So it, it probably will never turn into a housing development. It will stay a farm. Working forest easements permit landowners to manage their forests, but it'll never turn into a developed uh, 
property will always stay for us. And then we you know, have what we call more like forever wild easements where pretty much that land is gonna remain untouched. So when we do an easement like that, it's binding not just on the owners that make the donation to us, but on all future owners of that property. So in every other way, it remains private land. The owners can do what they want, consistent with the easement. They can pass it on to heirs, they can sell it. Uh, they can leave some part of the land out of the easement and develop that or you know, leave a home site for their kids or grandkids. But the, the land that's protected by the easement is permanently protected and organizations like ours that take those easements our responsibility then is to monitor and steward and ensure that the terms of the easement are upheld over time. And uh, there are some good incentives out there. Folks can get some good tax breaks for putting a conservation easement on their property. It, you know, it's never, if, if money is the sole goal, you know, people will find something else to do. But if there's a lot of times landowners have an emotional connection to their land and they like the idea that if they get a little incentive, tax breaks or whatever, that is something they want to do. And for us, it really has helped us protect a lot of the land in the, in the counties that we discussed earlier. And I understand you all have helped to protect almost 46,000 acres so far in your existence. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, one acre at a time, but <laughs> Uh, you know, and that's a combination, like I said, of acquiring land outright in fee simple, as we say, and adding that in some cases to public ownership and then placing conservation easements on, on land that stays in private hands. Sometimes it's easy to take some of these areas that we go and recreate and experience some downtime and restoration. We take them for granted. I, I've taken them for granted. And I don't know if it's just my age. I'm getting older. I appreciate more of the backstories behind some of these places. But when you think of Chimney Rock State Park, DuPont State Forest, um, even the Headwaters State Forest, these were all examples of some of the public lands that you all have helped to protect, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yeah, that's exactly correct. And and yeah, we're really proud of playing that role of bringing new land under permanent conservation. You know, as like you, the more I do this work, I get fascinated by stories about like, how was the Great Smoky Mountain State uh, National Park protected? Or, you know, that Ken Burns series about the national yeah. parks. I yeah. mean, there's just, these things don't happen unless there are people, who, you know, who get inspired, who, who get excited, who, who see that there's a special place that deserves protection of some kind. And so there's always some kind of story inevitably behind any of, any place where you, you the public goes and enjoys, someone got inspired at some point and took some steps to make it uh, a protected land or a, a public land. We were kidding earlier that you could take any one of those areas that I just mentioned, and in and of themselves, they can become an entire you know hour long plus episode of telling the story, where it came from, how it was protected, how it's being used today. And there are there's there's so many stories like that. And so in our show notes, we're definitely going to say right here early in this episode that uh, we'll have links to these. Um, you can go. I have been on your website, not just because of this episode, but, you know, even prior leading up to this of just really kind of learning some of the stories behind some of the areas that were protected. And it's really it's just remarkable. And and to your point, yes, you we you know, we kind of take some of it for granted and think, well, it's just kind of been here. This trail has been here. This area has been here. And we just, you know, become consumers of it. So the more we're aware of, I think, um, how they came to be and the effort that went in to conserve them, I think that the more, at least for, I'm speaking for myself and I, and I know for you that, you know, you, you appreciate these areas, you know, even more. Yeah. And I think it also gives people, makes them aware, hey, you know, this doesn't have to stop, you know, yes, <laughs> there, there yes. are other places out there that if we get inspired about it, or if we work in partnership with others, you know, we can, we can do something similar, maybe on a smaller scale, more local, whatever, but, you know, conservation is something that can keep happening, hopefully. You know, to that point, there's two little small examples just from my own experience. And, and I hope that I am, am accurate when I describe these, but White Oak Mountain, I think is an area that you all help preserve. There was at some point down in Polk County, and at some point there was, I guess, plans to really kind of develop that that whole area. And the other one is Bear Wallow. Mm, 
Yeah, yeah. Depending on which way you drive, if you're coming in from Henderson County, you know, I ended yeah. up coming through this, you know, these these you know beautiful, you know, estate homes or ranches almost they look like. But then all of a sudden I come to your trailhead, right. and I can't right. imagine if the rest of that bare walla was able to become, you know, I mean, again, they're beautiful homes, beautiful construction, but but yeah. you all helped to make that bare wallow area an area that you know, we'll be able to experience for the rest of our lives, my kids' lives, my, my grandkids' lives, and so on and so forth. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, you know, just uh, as you were saying earlier, there's always an interest, interesting story. The Bear Wallow Mountain Project that we've been able to conserve uh, right now, it's about 475 acres on the summit of that mountain in northeast Henderson County, part of the Hickory Neck Gorge. The owners of that property, the family that we work with, the Barnwell family, uh, Pearl Barnwell, who's now passed away, but back in the mid-2000s, it was in her 90s, I believe, and had family had owned that land for generations. And it was when that development next door, the Grand Highlands at Bearwallow, which, you know, we're good, we're good friends with the folks over there. We have a lot of good members that live in that development. So... You know, we, we understand development happens, but it, when Pearl saw that that was occurring next door to their land, she, she said to her son, I, I don't want that ever to happen to our land. Mm. And that so really became the, the triggering point for us to work with her son and then his other members of that family to place conservation easements on their nearly 500 acres on the summit of the mountain and also permit the trails that now cross through there. So sometimes a bad example can, can inspire people to, uh, or, or an example of something that they, you know, they just don't want to happen on their land. And that's kind of the case as you, as you described driving up through that on your way to the summit there, that was actually part of the story. So that's protection piece. What about the restoration piece? Because this is an area that I really didn't even think about in this this category of conservation, the whole uh, restore piece of your mission. Yeah. Well, yeah, and that word restore, I guess, can mean a lot of things. But it's, it's a part of our mission that we've been doing more of and, and building momentum on doing more of in, say, the last decade or so. And really, for us, it means bringing back land, bringing back nature to a healthier state, uh, bringing back maybe something that got destroyed or disrupted or, you know, changed and affected at some point over the decades. Uh, so bringing it back to maybe the way it was before, you know, the white people came along here and manipulated the land to the extent that we have. So uh, I think one of our big examples of that is a property at the confluence of the French Broad River and the Mud Creek, kind of North Henderson County in, in North Carolina, a property that had been farmed in row crops for many decades, but was really kind of marginal in that it, it, it flooded a lot. There was a lot of wet areas. It was almost entirely floodplain. And, and honestly, with climate changes that we're seeing, you know, we're having more intense storms and, and, and more frequency and intensity of flooding. And so I think it became even more of a marginal place to try to farm. So we, we acquired that property uh, about five, six years ago and worked with a design engineer. Greg Jennings is his name. Really great designer and uh, retired from NC State University. He worked with a lot of agencies, North Carolina Wildlife Resources Commission, U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, and, and our staff to say, what could we do here that would resemble the way this property was before we started to, you know, build levees along the river and drain the wetlands and straighten natural streams into these ditches and so uh, undertook to design and then construct a, a restored area uh, it's kind of a model for floodplain restoration you know turning the creeks back into meandering creeks and 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 healthier wetlands and 
and in particular, uh, there's a species of fish in the French Broad River native uh, called the muscalunge or musky. There's these really large, almost prehistoric looking species uh, with little kind of teeth. <laughs> and, <laughs> That's a good way to describe it. Uh, yeah. And they have native, but they weren't able to reproduce because of all the impact to what had been the breeding habitat. So this project involved creating a couple of what they call backwater sloughs, kind of channels that allow the water to slow down and back up into the, the property. And that kind of slower moving, uh, shallow uh, wet areas is, is exactly what the muscalunge need to lay their eggs and have the young grow up in a more protected place before then coming out into the fast moving channel. And, and not only for the muskie, but for all other, many, many other species, that habitat is, is a really welcoming place. And so that's a restoration we just completed couple of years ago at this point, and it's really brought a lot of excitement to many people, particularly the wildlife agencies, to see that we can turn the French Broad River a little bit more back into what it had been, you know, a couple of centuries ago. And uh, we're looking to replicate that elsewhere because it's great for species, it's great for water quality, both, uh, in, in both aquatic and terrestrial wildlife and frequently it involves a lot of getting rid of uh, invasive species plants that are not native to mm. our region and bringing back what would be naturally occurring so for us that's it's about not only protecting the pristine places but taking places that can be restored and 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 bringing bringing a healthier functioning back to those places as well oh that's fantastic so we've talked about the places you can protect or what the protection piece is and, and then the restoration piece. But one of the things I think is really neat that you all do is is you have the inspire piece too. So you want to inspire people to love and care for our, our natural assets, our natural resources. So that's the, I guess, the third leg of the stool of your mission is inspiring people. Yeah, yeah. And for us, that obviously can take many forms. Usually it's, you know, just educating people, getting them uh, to understand more and, and appreciate more about the natural resources of, of this region. And, and really, it involves a lot of times getting people out there firsthand, seeing, experiencing nature. So we have a whole range of programs and projects to, you know, make it easier for people to, to get outdoors, uh, see both conserved lands, um, and, and just have it be accessible so a whole range of people can, can get out there, whether it's, you know, getting out on the Hickory Nook Gorge State Trail uh, in the upper Hickory Nook Gorge in sort of more rugged, strenuous places or creating greenways closer into where people are living, places like the Acousta Trail Project, which yeah. we might want to talk about, or yeah. other greenways that we're creating in partnership with uh, other local towns and communities through programs like our our hiking and outdoor challenges that every year or two we create a list of about eight places that if uh, people can go out you know family friendly get outdoors kind of check them off your list and you get a little uh, hiking patch for being out there just just coming up with ways to give people a chance to to learn more and and to see some of the nice places in our region. You know, I am so glad that you do these challenges. You have the the hiking challenge six, which I am participating in right now. And you then you also have the, the flying squirrel challenge. And those are great challenges. And I mean, I know that you know that, but for our listeners, when you come to this area, there's so many things that you can do that, that even for me living here, I, you know, I can get overwhelmed of, you know, of all the choices, you know, it's like walking in and looking for mayonnaise. I mean, there's, there's 18 different types in the grocery store and, you know, I just want mayonnaise. So, you know, if, if, if you're looking at a place to go challenge, I'm using our family's using the hiking challenge six as our 2022 kickoff, I guess, uh, to finding a little bit more of our, of our local trails. And, and so 
you know, earlier we were talking about the breadth of where we talk about in this podcast, and the Blue Ridge Mountains covers a wide range of places. But um, I have found myself in the last, I don't know, probably two years going so far you know, to travel, to see some of these great areas, which are amazing, but there are so many that are literally right here in our backyard of Henderson County and some of these, these local areas. So the hiking challenge six, my wife and I, and two of our kids, we were out on the wildcat rock trail, which is the first time that we had ever experienced hiking on the wildcat rock trail. And my gosh, that probably could be a whole episode in and of itself, but that for us was eye-opening to not only, you know, that there's more once you get past Bear Wallow or coming up from 74, but there's an entire trail here that is really kind of unlike anything I'd, I've, I've ever seen. And even to this date, I've never seen so many rocks and the way that the trail was constructed and sustainably constructed. And, and, and yeah, it was part of, you know, the reason that we got there was, was because of your, your challenges and the things you're doing. So I can tell you, Kieran, that we were inspired. So hopefully other, other people are going to be inspired too. <laughs> well, that's, that's awesome to hear. Yeah. We're very proud of the, the Wildcat, uh, rock trail for sure. And I know you had on an earlier episode, Peter Barr yeah. talking about a book he'd published, but we have to give a lot of credit to Peter's work. He's been our trails coordinator. He's he, he's gone more part time in the last year or two. But yeah, he and a team of volunteers. We have a great group of volunteers. We call them the Rock Crushers. They get out there once a week, every week. You know, it's a it's a labor of love for a lot of different people. But yeah, we're really proud of that trail and and a number of the trails in the Hickory Nook Gorge that are part of one of the state's newest state trails now, the Hickory Nut Gorge State Trail, uh, which when it's fully completed will, I think, be 130 miles or something like that. Absolutely amazing. And we will, again, for the people who listen to the podcast, they know Conserving Carolina, but a lot of them may not. And so, again, we'll have links and try to get you some direct access to some of these trails because you all have done some amazing maps. It's so easy to use these maps, and they're all over your website um, once you get to the Get Outside section. And you can follow along uh, for the trails, and you can see really the breadth of what you all have been able to do in the, in the work that, that you all are working in, which really kind of leads me to the next thing. So you have conserved, I understand like 23,000 of acres. There's 46,000 acres that you've conserved, but there's 23,000 acres or so that have been preserved for recreation, including state parks, nature preserves, local greenways, local parks. And I'd love it if you can kind of give us an overview of those spaces, and then perhaps we can maybe drill down into a few of those. You know, you've already talked about the Hickory Nut yeah. Gorge State Trail, which I would love to yeah. talk about that, and maybe we can focus in on that, and then focus in on the uh, a little bit about the Acoustic Trail before we we knock off here on this episode today. Sure. Well, it, it just generally broadly, one of the first projects that uh, got Carolina Mountain Land Conservancy kind of off the ground early in its founding was the creation of DuPont State Forest. Uh, we, we at the time, I wasn't around then yet, but uh, worked with uh, the state and with uh, the National Organization of Conservation Fund to uh, acquire the first, I think like 7,500 acres or so at DuPont. It's a legacy that we've continued to try to build upon. We've added about 700 something acres to the state forest uh, in the last couple of years. Uh, but, you know, so that, that, that's an example of some of that land that's been added to public ownership. Chimney Rock State Park there in the Hickory Nook Gorge is another place that we, as well as other conservation organizations, work with the state to help create, uh, you mentioned Headwater State Forest earlier. Uh, that's the state's newest state forest over in Transylvania County. And uh, we, we had a role working with others. Again, everything we do is in partnership with others, but we're proud to kind of be the local on the ground uh, nonprofit uh, in, in this work. So I could, you know, name, name, name a few other spots, but yeah. And the Hickory Nook Gorge State Trail is obviously not about adding land to protection, although in some cases, actually, 
creating trails and protecting the land can go, can go hand in hand. So yeah, it's a, it's a spectacular area, both from a biological perspective. There's just a lot of diversity of habitats there, a lot of rare plant and animal species in that Hickory Nook Gorge, uh, as are a lot of the gorges in, in our part of the world, kind of the places where you have the Blue Ridge Escarpment and rivers and streams, like in this case, the Rocky Broad River and Hickory Nut Creek, uh, just creating wonderful, both dramatic landscapes and, and natural habitats. Uh, so it's an opportunity for protection of places like that, but also they tend to make beautiful places to to hike and, and get outdoors. So yeah, the Hickory Nut Board State Trail is something we're building piece by piece. And if you go to our website, probably half a dozen trailheads that we're continuously working to expand and uh, just just some awesome, beautiful places to get outdoors. Can we go back to DuPont State Recreation Forest for a minute, yeah, though? sure. I think it's a great example of taking some land, you, uh, repurposing some land, conserving and protecting some land that used to be for a different purpose. And so when we think of DuPont, we may just sort of let it just kind of wash right over us, but we're talking about the DuPont company. And right, I'm wondering right. if you can give us just a little sort of the Reader's Digest version of what that was, what that whole area was, and then when that plant closed down, how it how it parlayed into this recreational forest. Yeah. So the DuPont Corporation, I think it was back in the 1950s, acquired about 10,000 acres there, right on the Henderson County, Transylvania County boundary. And they they wanted that place because of the purity of the water, mm. which we know when we go out there today, it's still the case. Uh, they created x-ray film there. And the pure water quality was a really important element in creating good x-ray uh, films, from what I understand. Uh, they, they ran that plant there successfully for 40-plus years. Uh, and I guess, you know, the, the plant facilities were on one part of that 10,000 acres, and the rest of it, it was just protection of a watershed, and they would allow their employees uh, to enjoy and get outdoors so that even before it became a public land much of that was still enjoyed as a, a place for people to, to get outdoors and do hiking and see some spectacular waterfalls as people who've been there know so i guess like everything else the the x-ray industry was changing and uh, around about let me see it was the, the late 90s into late 90s in fact one of the employees of that company came to a very early meeting of the board of my organization and said, Hey, you know, the company is, is planning to sell the land here at that time, about 7,500 acres of what they owned. You know, it's some spectacular stuff. <laughs> we should work on conserving it. And so that kind of quickly kicked in gear Chuck McGrady, who was the president of our board at the time, reached out to old colleagues of his with the Conservation Fund, a national organization with an office in Atlanta. And they began working and talking with the uh, leadership in North Carolina government. And fortunately, the DuPont Corporation was very cooperative and there was a, uh, they, they, they negotiated a deal and the, and, the, and the sale ultimately was to the state um, and it was the beginning of what we call uh, DuPont State Recreational Forest. There was a second round of land acquisition there that wasn't quite as simple. Uh, the, uh, the remaining 2,500 or so acres, the, there was a, a, a subsidiary of DuPont that became the owner, and they kind of put it out for bid, and a private developer got it and began making plans to create a subdivision, which would have been right in the middle of oh, the rest of the, the state forest and uh, and would have included a lot of the really spectacular places that people visit today, like a lot of the waterfalls. So there was a back and forth for 
uh, a year or two. Uh, and the state finally said, you know what, this is too valuable to, to let this get developed. And so they uh, ultimately exercised eminent domain and paid the developer pretty handsomely at the end of the day, but acquired it for addition to the state forest. And so that, uh, that was a key part of the history as well. Uh, our organization wasn't so much involved in that second phase, but we're really happy that uh that the state took the, the steps that they did absolutely and that the employees came early on and said hey this is a great place and that's that, that's awesome that they approached your board which started a series of events to to preserve and protect that that whole area for all of us to enjoy because yeah i mean living where we are if anybody comes to town and they only have you know a limited finite amount of time to visit uh dupont state forest is that's that's where we're going that's where we're taking people and <laughs> Why not? I mean, you see so many just incredible waterfalls in such a short walk. So, um, yeah, I, I definitely put that on our, our greatest hits list here <laughs> in Western North Carolina. Without a doubt, without a doubt. I can't let you get away today without talking about the Acousta Trail and uh, at whatever level you would like to discuss that. But that's more of the the, the modern contemporary, you know, example of, of some conservation and, and using, you know, old lands into to new purposes for recreation. But at whatever yeah. level, I would love for you to share a little bit about the Acousta Trail. Sure. Well, uh, yeah, just quickly. And, and it's, you know, it's an ongoing story. It's, uh, yeah, it's, yeah. it's a project in, in process still. But so the, the line, the rail line that connects from Hendersonville, North Carolina, out to Brevard, about 19 miles, was for many decades an active line serving primarily the Acousta paper plant over there uh, along the Davidson River, just east of Brevard, produced uh, Bible paper and cigarette paper. They, like so many of our manufacturing businesses, Went, went out of business, I think it was 2000, 2001. And from that point forward, there was just no active service on the rail line anymore. There was no customer uh, on that end of the line that was needing to have trains anymore. And so that rail line sat unused for close to 20 years. And uh, a number of local citizens in that over those decades it said you know we should see if we can use this for some other public purpose uh, rather than just let it kind of be abandoned at some point and so there was you know grassroots effort over those decades it had been owned by the norfolk southern the big uh, regional rail company uh, about five or six years ago they they conveyed some of their lines in that Asheville Hendersonville area to a uh, more local uh, company, Watco. And all along the, every point, you know, there were efforts to talk to the rail company and both of them and see, hey, would you all sell this, this corridor, this 19 miles between those two towns? And at every point, the answer was no, we're not, you know, we're not interested. And then I think it was somewhere in spring 2019 we got word that the company was actually interested in getting rid of that corridor so it was that was big news yeah because up until that point everything was just theoretical but uh with that news and i have to credit both the friends of acousta trail the local uh grassroots volunteer group that had been advocating for the idea for for over 10 years and then also our uh, elected uh, legislator in the state house of representatives chuck mcgrady from henderson county who when we got that news quickly helped to identify a source of funding through the north carolina department of transportation and the u.s federal highway administration that would pay for 80 percent of the cost Wow. of the purchase of that rail corridor. So that was the stars really aligned, you know, the, the rail companies saying we're ready to sell and a big chunk of the funding identified. So the partners invited 
our organization in to, to do the actual real estate acquisition for a number of reasons. One, we just had that history of experience with doing real estate work, but also because this rail line uh, tra travels through several different local government jurisdictions. It starts in Hendersonville, runs out through Laurel Park, and then Henderson County into Transylvania County and ends there in Brevard. Sometimes it's easier for a non-governmental entity that's sort of neutral to be the, the player that does the acquisition of property rather than any one of those entities acquiring property within the other jurisdictions. And so it just seemed for a number of reasons that we, we were well positioned. And so we were glad to, to be invited. We, it took us um, close to two years, but uh, there's just a lot to work in with a railroad and you know, researching these deeds from the 1890s. Wow. Just, you know, all, all the doing surveying, uh, surveying it all out and just negotiating with the railroad company. But we closed on that corridor back in August of 2021. So at that yeah. point, uh, and I will say we created a subsidiary LLC. So it was actually Acousta Rails to Trails LLC that now owns that corridor and is working with partners starting with Henderson County to get the trail constructed on the ground. So we're probably talking several years before, you know, we, we create those segments, but ultimately all 19 miles of paved greenway trail will connect those two communities. And I think there's a lot of local excitement, both about just this linear park that residents of our region will now have access to but also the uh, the boost to the local economy that other examples of places like the Virginia Creeper Trail yes. up in Virginia or the Swamp Rabbit Trail down in Greenville County, South Carolina yep. have just become magnets for visitors and tourists and, you know, ha have created new businesses to serve uh, people coming to visit the trails. So I, I think, you know, our local towns are also excited about the boost of the local economy that may come from this. So uh, we're still at the stage of now putting it on the ground, constructing it. But I think the big stage for us was securing the railroad corridor so that we have the opportunity to, to construct it now. Oh, that's fantastic. I can't thank you all enough. And I know that there's a lot of other players, as you said. So it's interesting as you're talking, I'm kind of going back and, and, and looking at my own personal experience of these lands that you've protected, finding out a little bit more about them, the the inspiring piece about getting people, encouraging them to get out and to see some of these places. And I will tell you that uh, for me, that it's played a huge part, I think, in just kind of the season of life, I guess, of where I am with not only just enjoying these places, but also trying to give back a little bit. Uh, I'm working with the Hendersonville group, we have teams to go out and do some some work, and the big pieces of the construction are done by other groups, but it's nice to kind of get in and get your hands dirty and get in the dirt a little bit. You're a part of this thing that's that's evolving, that's going to come to fruition, like you said, in you know, if, you know, several years. Who knows exactly how long it'll take, but I know that we'll be able to, or at least I would imagine we'd be able to enjoy sections of that along the way, much like the Fontaflora Trail and and others, but, um, man, this is, yeah. and, and it's so cool. You know, you were talking about some of these businesses that are developing. I know, you know, right there in Horseshoe, there's a, uh, sort of a renovation going on. I'm not exactly sure what it's going to be, but I don't know if it's an outfitter restaurant bar. I don't know what it is, but it's where it crosses 64, uh, there in, in Horseshoe. So I, I just, it's so cool. I can't wait to see what this thing becomes. And obviously being able to ride all 19 miles would, would be pretty cool too. Yeah. Well, thank you for your involvement as a volunteer. You know, we need the more hands, the better. And, and, and maybe that's my cue to, to plug, you know, I speak of this as if it's a done deal, but actually we're still very much in the, the fundraising mode. We have a, a joint capital campaign between Friends of Acoustic Trail and Conserving Carolina. So part of the money is secured for the construction. And we feel like it's such a good idea and there's so much excitement that we will find the money 
uh, to construct the rest of it as well. But uh, if folks want to get involved either as volunteers like yourself or as supporters and contributors either to that particular project, if that's exciting to them, or you know, everything else I talked about, like it, it relies on uh, the support of our, our local members and contributors. So this is a way you know, that our community, uh, it, really the community is what makes everything we do possible. Mm-hmm. So you can go to our, our website and find out how to plug in as a volunteer or use that donate now button if you'd like to uh, make, make a, a gift in support of what we do. For sure. And that's conservingcarolina.org. We'll have that in our show notes as well. So people can just go right from the episode and click right on it and get right to your website. But I definitely encourage um, every listener um, who's tuning into this this episode to make sure that you go to Conserving Carolina. It's very easy to navigate through it, but not only are you going to find all the great areas that have been protected and the places you can go and you can experience and recreate in right now, but you can also learn some of the backstories. And to me, that is just, as I said earlier, has become something I've, I've really enjoyed doing is really trying to get to know, you know, the story of that particular place, because each one of these places has its own story. And you and I have already said it a few times that we could, we could spend entire episodes, which, you know, I definitely hope that we can have uh, you back and we could talk maybe a little bit more in depth about, about some of these areas. But as we're wrapping up here, Kieran, anything that you would like to share with our listeners about conservation, the challenges of conservation, you know, why it's important, and then maybe some questions that I haven't asked that you'd really love for people to know? Money is always a challenge. And so my, my plug a minute ago, uh, we rely a lot on public grant sources for a lot of what we do. Uh, in, in North Carolina, our, our state legislator, our state legislature has created something called the Land and Water Fund, as well as the Parks and Recreation Trust Fund. Uh, we are deeply grateful for the money that our elected officials set aside for this work in our state. On the federal level, there's the, the Land and Water Conservation Fund. You know, as citizens, I would I would hope that people if this stuff is valuable, that they would, you know, educate themselves about programs like those I just mentioned on the state and federal level. And, you know, if you have a chance to express your support to your your elected officials of, of this kind of work, you know, a lot of what we do depends on that public support. And, and so that's a big piece of it for us as well, just maintaining the broad public support that gets translated into policies and programs that uh, make make conservation possible. You know, another side benefit, the connections that people can make, you know, when you get involved with something like Conserving Carolina, Foothills Conservancy, you know, there's a number of conservancy, you know, groups. But one of the things that's really neat is that you not only sort of get to, to look behind the, the veil a little bit to see what's going on with the development of some of these places, but my personal experience has been that you also create new friendships and partnerships with, with people. And it's just so neat to just be a part of something that's so much bigger than yourself and something that is going to be around for years to come. You know, you think of some of these parks that we've, you know, that, that we enjoy today and some of these areas have been around for, you know, a number of years, but you know, there was, there's a story behind that and somebody made it happen. And so there's something just really cool, Kieran, I think, about being a part of making something happen for for future generations. I don't know if that's just personal to me, but it's something about that just feels really good. Yeah, I, I find that it's the people who start to get involved with us at one level or another, you know, the volunteers, people serving on our boards or committees. They they start to really understand a lot of what we do is kind of complex, involves a lot of details and once people get involved and start to understand that they become sort of more committed and more inspired to stay involved. And, and, and really, like you're saying, uh, there's a, there's a core group of people that it's just a great bunch of people that you get to connect with uh, everybody involved in the work from our volunteers to our staff, to our board uh, is doing this because they're, they love what we do as an organization. They love the mission. So it's kind of nice to, to work in that environment where people are you know, staying active because of something they love. 
Well, Kieran, I can't thank you enough for coming on today. I feel like I say this all the time that we just kind of scratch the surface on on a lot of our, our episodes, but I appreciate you giving us the 50,000 foot view and also dipping down more to the ground level and, and sharing a little bit more of the specifics of past projects, current projects, things that are in the works. Well, you've definitely opened my eyes, I, I know, to a lot of different things. And hopefully you've done that for a lot of our listeners as well. But I can't thank you enough for coming on, taking the time to share your passion for what you do and it's important work and it just conserves, you know, and protects areas that we can enjoy for, you know, lifetime and, and, and generations. So just I thank you for what you're doing and what your whole team is doing, because I know there's a lot of people behind you, too. Well, thanks so much for having me on, Mike, and for your interest in what we're doing and for helping to sort of educate and spread the word. And again, I'll say if folks are listening to this from outside this region we've been talking about, there's a very likely to be a, a local land trust counterpart conserve in Carolina where, where other folks are living and so there, there are opportunities local to where they are as well to do similar kinds of work. We all owe a great deal of gratitude and appreciation for those who have come before us and to those who are currently working to ensure we have beautiful places to explore and recreate. And hopefully listening to Kieran we're all now more aware of efforts and needs that still exist. In the past year I've become even more keenly aware of just how important it is to preserve or protect our natural resources, and that I can no longer just think it's someone else's burden to bear. It truly does require all of us, whether it be our time, financial resources, or even both. I've seen state trails, greenways, acres of land approved for more trails, and even the state of North Carolina dedicate 2023 as the year of the trail. These projects are often the result of years of work and dedication, and they beckon us to get more involved and to care. If you enjoyed today's episode, you're in luck. We have more episodes like this in store for you throughout 2022. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you can stay up to date with all future episodes. Be sure to check us out on Facebook and Instagram, and feel free to reach out to me at mike at explorationlocal.com if you ever have an idea for a future episode or if you just love to connect. I really do love connecting with our listeners that way. Well, that's going to do it for this episode. Until we meet again, I encourage you to wander far, but explore local.